Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I'm the Executive Director, and I have been for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations, and to learn more, go to cpeonline.org. The other ministry is the ministry of Bread of Life Fellowship here in Boise, Idaho, where I'm the Bible teacher, and this is the word we feed on. Now let's continue from our last broadcast, considering the first verses of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus, and he tells him that his primary purpose is to carefully set down the facts of Jesus Christ. Luke knew that from the facts would rise faith. The disciples knew Jesus not as a wish, but as a fact before them, and faith rose from that point. And so, it must always rise just at that point, at the point of the facts. I guess an application to this would be this, that we shouldn't rush people past the facts. We shouldn't rush people past a reasonable consideration of the questions they have and a reasonable consideration of the very things that the Bible attests to to be true about Jesus Christ. Listen, The facts can be trusted to speak for themselves, and they will. And for the individual who will openly and honestly come before and seek to explore the facts of the life of Jesus Christ, they will ultimately demand faith. They will ultimately demand faith. J.C. Ryle has a very interesting thing along this thing. He wrote about 150 years ago. Just listen to this quote. He says, The apostles went about telling a sin-laden world, that the Son of God had come down to earth, had lived for us, and died for us, and risen again. The gospel at its first publication was far more simple than many make it out now. It was neither more nor less than the history of Christ. Neither more nor less than the history of Christ. That's what Luke is saying here, right at the very introduction. You read this, listen. This is what is fulfilled among us. This is what we're fully persuaded of. This is the gospel, the history of Jesus Christ. Second thing I want you to notice here is that Luke goes on and he wants to share with us the impact that these facts had upon the first ones who encountered them. He tells us that the apostles were eyewitnesses and servants of the gospel. That's the second thing. The apostles were eyewitnesses and servants of the gospel. He says, just as those who from the beginning, speaking of the apostles, they're the ones who were from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word they delivered then unto us, or delivered to them for us. This word eyewitness is more than you might think it is here. So the first thing is, look at these, eyewitnesses and ministers. And these are their two responses to the facts. The first apostles had a response to the fact that they ultimately discovered they realized had been fulfilled among them the fact, the supreme fact of God's salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, and then they became servants of it. And here are the two things, the two responses they had to the facts. The first was they became eyewitnesses. They were eyewitnesses. The second thing that they did in light of these facts is they became servants of the Word. The first one is eyewitnesses. And the word eyewitness there means something more than what you might think it means. The word is from the word Optoptos in the Greek. It's a medical word, which is fitting, by the way, because Luke was a medical doctor. Atoptops is the word that we get autopsy from. It speaks of a careful study and analysis of the facts that are set before him. 
It's a word that denotes a personal, first-hand investigation. It means to see something for yourself. These apostles did not simply note the facts. They looked into the facts. They weighed them and they measured them. This was not simply a casual reckoning with information and data. This was a sifting of it. The Bible tells us that over the course of Christ's ministry, on many times as the disciples lived with him for those three or four years, that they asked the question, who is this man? Who is this one? They were pondering and weighing these things all along. Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, was made in the last few months, maybe even weeks of the life of Christ's earthly ministry. They saved it. They were considering it and weighing it. Thomas didn't even say it until after he had risen from the grave. And then after he had risen from the grave, Thomas said, My Lord and my God. In the meantime, they were weighing this. They were studying it. They were looking at it and breaking it apart and trying to figure it all out. Some of them came to a positive conclusion and Judas didn't. But they were weighing the information, the data. They were eyewitnesses. That's what it means to be an eyewitness. Is to consider the evidence and weigh it. Theophilus needs to do the same thing, you see. Theophilus, I'm giving you the facts. These are the things we weighed and considered. These things don't come down to you lightly when we pass them on to you. We were eyewitnesses. We conducted our autopsy. Luke chapter 2, verse 19, we're told of the wonderful account of the story of Jesus Christ, the shepherds that came told the story of angels who proclaimed this wonderful message to them. Here is this mother and father and this little baby in a manger, not where they expected to find or not where you'd expect to find God's Savior. Shepherds go out and start declaring to everything the noise abroad, all that they've heard. What does Mary do? Luke 2.19 says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, weighing them, trying to understand them. She knows what's happened. She knows the facts of these stories very clearly. She's experienced them, you know, in the pains of childbirth. Weighing, pondering. We are to do the same. The Apostle John actually communicates to us this very course of study of the Apostles in 1 John chapter 1. You might turn there for a moment. In 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John and wants to communicate to us the same thing that Luke is communicating this idea of the nature of their autopsy, you might say, of their eyewitnessing, of their weighing these things. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, this is what the Apostle John writes. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen, which we have looked upon, the idea there, the word is gazed intently upon, which our hands have handled, that idea is our hands have assayed and held, of the word of life. For the word was manifest, and we've seen it and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. That's it. He's just describing the course of their investigation. We heard it. We saw it. We gazed on it. We drew near and handled it. We considered these things. We weighed these things. We investigated these things. And now we're declaring it unto you. And Luke says this is the same thing. He's saying the exact same thing. 
They, the apostles, were declaring as servants of the word what they had studied and explored personally themselves. Once they had believed fully what had been fulfilled before them, they became servants of that word. And that's the second response. And the first response to these facts was they explored them. The second response to these facts was they became servants of him. First, they explored. They studied Jesus as the supreme fact. Second, they served him as the supreme word. And by the way, that word, word there, has the article before it, and it really can be, and I don't understand why, but I believe should be, and there's no reason that it can be, translated, word, not small w, but big w, the word. They became servants of the word. The word there is tulugu, it's from the word logos, the word. It's the same thing where you have in the Gospel of John, in the beginning it was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he said they became servants of the word. The word servants there means under rower. It's the lowest level of service that they knew in society. It was the slave who was in a slave ship, but he was the lowest class of slave because he served in the lowest galley in the ship below all the other oarsmen with all the other trouble and all the other refuse of those working above them falling in upon them as they rowed in the ship. And that's the name that he gives the apostles of Jesus Christ. They were the under-rowers of the word. It's interesting that James uses the same word for servant, under-rowers, at the very introduction of his epistle. James calls himself and declares himself to be the servant of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. The under-rower. It's the word he uses. They became... Slaves of Christ, slaves of the Word, slaves of the Word, not of doctrine alone, but the Word of the person who is our doctrine above everything else. Servants of His. And as His servants, they witnessed to what they had studied. They gave witness to what they had discovered in Him. And that witness was a life of complete abandonment to the service of God, to the service of Jesus Christ. So here's what he says first. First, I want you to know that this one I'm writing to is the facts. It's the facts that we're presenting, the narrative of the life of Christ. And these facts have been discovered. They've been studied by eyewitnesses. They've been sorted out. They've been personally explored. And once having explored it and discovered the fullness of Christ and the fullness of God's promises, these men became servants to what they discovered, under rowers. By the way, here's a little aside here. I think it's interesting that if we were to put a hierarchy of leadership in the church, the hierarchy would come down to us from the 12 apostles. These were the men who were the foundation stones from which the church arose. And when Luke is struggling to find the title to give them, what name should we give these men who are at the highest level of leadership in the church? He calls them the lowest name of servanthood. Under rowers, servants, at the lowest level. It's just an interesting contrast from the kinds of names that are used for leaders nowadays in the church. I actually tried to go and find some on the internet, and I was trying to find just some that are relative to our own community, and I couldn't, but I found some stuff. But what really struck me was I found this little treatise written for the Orthodox Church on how they were to address the spiritual leaders in the Orthodox Church. I thought I would read it to you. I want you to consider it in contrast to 
under rowers. This is what I read. When we address deacons or priests, we should use the title Father. Bishops we should address as your grace. Though all bishops, including patriarchs, are equal, they do have different honors that accrue to their rank. Thus, your eminence is the proper title for bishops with suffragans and assistant bishops and metropolitans and most archbishops. Among the exceptions to this rule is the Archbishop of Athens, who is to be addressed as your beatitude. Your beatitude is the proper title for patriarchs, except for the ecumenical patriarch in Constantinople, who is to be addressed as your all-holiness. When we approach an orthodox presbyter or bishop, but not a deacon, we make a bow by reaching down and touching the floor with our right hand and then placing our right hand over our left palms upward and say, Bless, Father, or bless your grace, or bless your eminence, or bless your all-holiness. The priest or bishop then answers, May the Lord bless you, blesses us with the sign of the cross, places his right hand in our hands, then we may kiss his hand. Under rowers, slaves of the gospel, the word of Jesus Christ. That was the impact of the facts upon their life. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.